Welcome to Into Theology. I'm joined by the Reverend Dr. Ian Clary. And we are talking about immutability and eternity today. Questions nine and ten. I wonder if like <laughs> I wonder if I wonder if people are like if, if they're able to like pay close enough attention to what we like how we start things sometimes. If you can guess by how you insult me or describe me, how, what we've been talking about before we started recording. <laughs> like this, I, I, brother, I just wanted to honor you on a joke, It's always this inside joke uh, that we start out, you know, with, and it's like, what's going on? I just wanted to honor you with your, with your appropriate honorifics, given the, the stature of your study and ecclesial uh, powers that you have. Uh, the immutability of God, the eternity of God, <laughs> That's what we're talking about. Uh, uh, Thomas Aquinas has been working through the basics of God. He's beginning with uh, simplicity. He goes to infinity. And these two are immutability and eternity for Aquinas seem to be kind of almost united. Or at least they're two sides of the same coin. Yeah. Um, when it comes to question hey, nine. Friends, I mean, I think like what I think. I think the idea with infinity is that God is like kind of in everything, you know, uh, and it's kind of more in relation to time. Um, oh, how did I have, I had it in my head in a certain way. I eternity is in relation to time. Like God's, it, that's what it is. It's the, and I could be wrong here, but this is how I'm taking it is that eternity is in relation to time. Infinity is in relation to space. So God is in everything, right? Not 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 denying the creator creature distinction or anything like that. So we we talked about that last uh, podcast. So God is a, in space, in everything. Um, whereas that's his infinity. Whereas his e eternality means that he it, the word eternal literally means just no time, like without time. And so it's both of them in a sense are kind of related to the whole question of like the space time continuum or something mm -hmm. fancy like that. And it that's how I take it. Yes, uh, I think so. I mean, that's, I think his infinity is that, or that we're more or less in him, maybe the other way around as well. But yeah, that, that's, I think that idea, like, but I think when it gets to immutability, it's interesting. It's almost immutability for him is an inference of what he's already said, especially on simplicity. Yeah. So when he's trying to explain, okay, he has this idea, is God immutable? So in case this is a, an odd word for you, to be immutable means to be changeable. To be immutable means to be unchangeable. The argument yeah, if you think here, of like think of the word of like you know mutation. Mutation. Right? Yeah. You know, I always like when I talk about it with my students, I'm like it's like the teenage mutant mutant ninja turtles. You know, like they mutated because uh, they right. can change, whereas God cannot change. So the strongest objection, uh, well, I don't know about the strongest, but the objection that we have here in our text is J from James four eight, where it says, "Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you." And the idea is if God draws near to us, he moves from one locale to another. And that's a movement, a change, not only in location, but also maybe in how he treats you. Like he is far from you in terms of his emotional connection to you. And he's close to you in terms of his emotional closeness to you. That's the kind of implication you might get from James 4.8. Yeah. Um, he's already established, I think, in article question three, the idea of metaphor in scripture, but he says on his contrary here, he quotes Malachi 3, 6, which is, I am the Lord and I change not, or I do not change. And so he try, Aquinas tries to explain, how does the Bible say God doesn't change when it's obvious throughout, it describes God in ways like he moves or he, et cetera. And what he's going to describe, uh, he gets to the metaphor idea, I think, in this question 
Yeah. yeah. Reply to objection three. That's a big yeah. part of it. But also he says it's, it's also reasonable to assume based on what God says about being unchanging in Malachi, that this must be the case because it's so reasonable given all that we know about God in scripture and in nature. So he says, I, he, I answer that from what proceeds, it is shown that God is altogether immutable. And his first argument is on the basis of basically simplicity. So it's because it was shown above that there is some first being whom we call God and that this first being must be pure act, meaning he, he's not possibly happy and then fully happy the next day. By pure act, it means that he's the most active, vibrant, alive, full person or being that you could ever know of. Sometimes people talk about pure act as he's like a static thing. No, no. The point is that he's the fullness of joy. He is yeah. perfect in love. He is fully good. Like it's the fullness of it all. It's it's the activity in a sense. But he has no admixture of any potentiality. So he's not possibly sad, possibly happy. It's just silly. For the reason that absolutely potentiality is posterior to act. Um, now everything which is in any way changed is in some way in potentiality. Meaning... If you could potentially be smart, we all hope that you could one day, <laughs> um, you have potency, potentiality. We, we probably call it possibility in modern English. Um, I might possibly be smart one day when I grow up, but I, but I keep hanging out with me. But if I hang out with you, you rub off on me and then you'll help me to actualize, to make real this possibility of smartness. But God is the smartest, you, we might say. So God has no potential, potentialities, no ability to change and grow because he's the best of class that's kind of what he's getting at hence it's evident yeah, that it's impossible for God like, to be in any way changeable oh sorry um yeah i mean potentiality right is where change occurs which is usually it's it, change happens in matter and so we've already established or thomas has already established that god doesn't have a body he's not material so already at the level of his immateriality that's indicative of a lack of change. And then if he's pure act or pure being, um, that means then there's no, <laughs> sounds awful to put it this way. There's no potential for potential, right? Like he's not, it can't be the case that there's potentiality in him, but potentiality is where change occurs. So if, if he had, if he's not, if there's no potentiality in God, there is absolutely zero possibility that he can change. But as you said, that doesn't make him like this, like static, in a, unapproachable being. As because even as Thomas will kind of work through, he is act. So it's 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 the highest level of like if you use love as the example, he is the pure actuality of love. It's not like this like static, unchanging, unapproachable love. It's the purest expression of love that's highly act. He is his own activity of love, um, and so. Uh, and because because he's at its fullness and you can't add anything to it and because he's perfect you can't subtract from god he can't be he can't be changed you can't add to him there's not because as you move through time you're adding something or taking something away from yourself but he can't do that and so uh and so he has to be unchanging in that sense and here's where the rubber hits the road uh tomorrow you have some tragedy Loss oh, of a gosh. loved one, not not you literally. In general, yeah, someone gone might. through enough of that recently. Yeah, I mean, you will because of your your bad luck. But, um, and while this tragedy happens, a thousand thoughts go through your mind. You're not ready to do exegesis or, or Bible study, but you know, based on what the Bible says, Psalm one nineteen sixty eight, I believe, God is good and does good. That's really the only truth you need to hold on to at that moment. God is good and does good. And it's because of who he is. He is 
goodness itself, overflowing goodness. The reason why he created out of his philanthropy, love for mankind, and the reason why he incarnated out of his love and, and goodness. And I think this theology is meant to give you this absolute trust in that despite circumstances and what may appear to be horror, that behind it all, God is good and does good. And it gives, I think, great comfort, but not just comfort like in a, it's magic. It's like God actually will do good. It's yeah. concrete, real. It will happen. I think it's really why we can trust his promises, right? Because right. he's unchanging. If he makes a promise, he's not, you know, that's a, it's a sure thing. It's it, when you think about it in our experience, we, we live again to speak philosophically. Um, we live in, in the material universe that is the place of becoming and God is being. So becoming uh, is, is where change occurs. Everything is constantly changing. No, nothing can actually truly be, stable uh except god uh, because he's not in a state of becoming he's in a state of being and so when you kind of look around uh at everything everything is subject to change meaning we ultimately can't depend on the things of this world uh, because it can change um your best friend your your spouse your parent some of you trust absolutely can still fail you because they're subject to change they might make a promise to you right and fail under certain conditions. God can't do that because God's unchanging. And I, I find, especially too, like even what you were saying a minute ago about going through tragedy, it's like my dad, you know, recently passed, my mom's in a home now with dementia. And so I'm thinking about all these sorts of things of like, man, the change that's occurred. I like, I've, I've been sitting, I'm in my, I'm in my house right now uh, and it's basically empty. Like we've cleared it out, getting ready to sell it. So I've been going through all these like photo albums and seeing pictures of my parents, like when they were kids and, you know, when, you know, they're before I was born and all that stuff. And, you know, you get this like sad sense of like nostalgia and, and wanting to be part of it. And, it. and it makes you, at least it does for me, it makes me sad that things change. It's like when we have, you, know, you look at your kids, you know, and you look at a picture, you know, Facebook pops up a, a picture of your kid when, you know, my daughter Kate, when she was one and you're like, wow. And look at her now, you know, she's nine. And, uh, it's like, man, change. It's like, oh, it kind of sucks in some ways. And uh, and then you just think, yeah, but God's unchanging. And and that's why we put all our 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 hope in him as the the being that doesn't change. Yeah, I think that's it. And even at even at this most simple level, when you say to some young guy, you got a lot of potential. Yeah. We know we're what we're saying is they're not in a good place now, but they have some growth to be better. But God's already in that place. Yeah. And he's already the one who can be our hope because he's he's reached it. Um, does immutability belong to God alone? Is the second article of question nine? And uh, like, let's think of like how many yeah. scriptures there are, though, right? Like, I have like a list of them here. I should I didn't note their um, their where they you know the particular verses. Um, this, this I didn't realize we we're dealing with the Bible. I thought we we're just doing the words of men. <laughs> You're always the one who's quoting scripture. You're doing it always off the top of your head. I, I'm not bad at that, but. You know, I'm the Lord, I cannot, and I change not. God is not a man that he should lie, nor is he a son of man that he should be changed. Um, what else do we got here? Uh, every every best and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. With him there is no no change nor shadow of alteration. Uh, they change the glory of the incorruptible into the likeness and image of a corruptible man. Uh, these are these are ones I'm I'm getting these out of um, that guy uh, that I always reference all the time, uh, Gary Gulagrange. He has he collected these texts together. And it's like, oh, that's that's like helpful to just see how 
biblical uh, the, the idea of immutability is, especially in light of some aspects of like modern modern theology that gets influenced, you know, by Kant or Hegel, where there's a real push towards seeing God not as immutable and pure being, but as actually you know, part, you know, a monism where God is actually part of the universe and is in a state of becoming. Um, yeah. yeah. You just see this, this is just not biblical. He, yeah, Garigou Lagrange also notes too, that uh, at the council of Nicaea, um, Nicaea anathematized anybody who said that the sun is changeable um, because this, this totally relates back to those early Christian debates over uh, the, the person of Christ and his deity. Right. And, uh, and so it's, it's actually heretical to say that God is subject to change or, or the sun is subject to change. You sound like a really mean guy. Um, well, yeah, he was called the, the Garagu is called the sacred monster of Thomism. The sacred <laughs> monster of Thomism. There you go. Um, awesome. Uh, yeah, there's, I read a biography of him earlier this year called the, yeah. Huh. No, I, I think that's good. I mean, I think the Bible... Anyway, on to your next point. What were you saying? The Bible that has the two idioms, and Aquinas already brings it up. God is unchanging, yet the Bible describes him as moving and, and coming close to us. But he's already answered that. If, if God is infinite, then he's not only beyond and nothing can contain him, but he is, in a sense, everywhere or omnipresent. So he doesn't actually move locally. It's not like a a myth where Zeus comes down from the mountains in the form of a bird or, or whatever and does some maleficent thing, but rather uh, he's already there. And we, you might say, are like metal pins that are attracted to him as a magnet so when we come to love him and see him, but he doesn't change. He's just there. Yeah. And I think yeah, that's really so important. When, we encounter, when you encounter in scripture, right? Like he's talking about this like metaphorical language here. When you encounter places in scripture where God does appear to change, like, uh, you know, when he looks down in Genesis and beginning of Genesis and sees how wicked humanity is that he's made, right. and then he decides to judge them with the flood. Um, he he there says something to the effect of like, I've re I repent of having made man and repentance. It gets at the idea of, of some sort of change. So the language would be metaphorical, but in the sense, God doesn't undergo a change of, you know, moral state of being or, or an emotional state of being happy with his creation to now being angry with them. The change actually occurred in, in humanity, right? Where our relation to God is where the change occurs. And we experience, you know, that as God changing, but the change is actually in us. I, yeah. I try to articulate this to my students with the idea of, um, you know, if you go out, uh, say, say you, you know, you've been like working in your basement all day, you've been there eight hours, you're just like, uh, like no sunlight, no fresh air. And then uh, you go outside. It's like a nice summer feels day. Feels personal. Go... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm in my basement right now. <laughs> um, I've been stuck in this house too. But um, and then you go outside for that first time. And you're like, oh, the sun just feels amazing, you know. Um, but on a hot, humid day in the middle of summer, you go out in the sun and it feels awful. And there's no change in a sense in the sun. Uh, the change is in me when I've come out on, you know, depending on the time of year, the sun's relation to where it hits in the earth and blah, blah, blah. The sun is either more hot or less hot, but it's not because there's a change in the sun. It's the change in us. And it's kind of the same sort of sense. It's like if I'm in a if I'm in a morally upright condition, then I I relate to the unchangeable God uh, and and feel his happiness towards me. But if I'm in a wicked condition, 
then I relate to him uh, and I feel his wrath uh, as if he's undergone a change where the change is actually a moral change within me. Anyway, yeah, that's, right. that's how I, that's how I kind of do it. I think it's Jeremiah 18 or 19. I can't remember where God says, if a nation does evil, you know, I will punish it. But if it repents, and then I'll come and have compassion on it. And the, the idea there is it's the nation that does evil or repents. God is always just. Yeah. I mean, justice is essentially to do what is equitable. It's to do what's fair. And so um, God's always the same, but we end up changing. So we might, if he's a magnet that pulls us in, we might run away from him or we allow the magnet to suck us into his into his goodness. I think that's kind of the, and your son analogy is really good too. Um, okay, let's go to, just given that we've, I think, figured this section out a little bit. Um, what about question 10, the eternity of God? This yeah, is this important is um, because I think, I don't know if he mentions it, but eternity is like, sometimes we just think, okay, well, God has no beginning, so he's eternal. But that's not exactly what Aquinas is getting Although that's at. true. Although it's true. Um, I mean, I think that's that's part of it. But Aquinas actually has a particular view of what time is. And it's funny, I had an, ar- an argument about this with someone a few years ago. Uh, you know, there's this A theory of time, B theory of time, all this kind of stuff. But right. for me, it's it's straightforward that what we call time is just a measurement of, of, of change. So like, what is, what's a day, but the earth uh, turning in a 24 hour cycle? It just, so we make up hours and it, it's just a measurement of that rotation. And what's a year, but an orbit around the sun of the earth. So these are, they're not arbitrary in the sense of like they have no meaning, but they are the, the day, a minute, an hour are based upon our measurement of the earth's 24 hour rotation. And then the 365 day year orbit around the sun. And when that happens once we say one and you know, however old you are, I think you're uh 22. Um, you have 22 years of age simply because the earth orbited the sun that many times, not because there's something necessary in you, like a cell that is the time cell and it just, it ticks in your heart or whatever but a measurement of change. In fact, a lot of people today are talking about like biological age and it's just a measurement based upon like relative health scales on different organs and and so on. So time itself is seems to be relative to some uh, measurement. And I think that's pretty straightforward. And so what Aquinas does here is, I mean, it might be, I know it's straightforward as I say that, but I know it's a weird thought to have because you just assume time is something, but time is nothing. It's just a measurement. The measurement. And so Aquinas does, it says, look, uh, uh, created things change. They grow, shrink, get smarter, get dumber, whatever. Um, and th- that's a measurement of where you were before and now where you are afterwards. There's a sort of a sequence in time. But given all that the Bible says and that he's discussed about what God is, God doesn't have like before he was like this and after he's like this. There's no measurable change in God. There's nothing relative in him that is X one day than Y the other day. And so therefore he's eternal. Um, do you want to say something that makes it better than what I said? No, I, I mean, you're right. Like they, the whole idea of like, what is, what is time? And uh, it is, it basically is just that, that kind of measurement. He says, uh, those things are said to be measured by time, which have a beginning and an end in time. Because in everything which is moved, there's a beginning and there's an end. 
uh, but as whatever is wholly immutable can have no succession, so it has no beginning and no end. Uh, so God, God's etern- God, God is eternal because He's outside of time, uh, and you can't measure God in terms of sequences. You can't. There's no before and after in Him because, as He's just said, He's immutable. He's not subject to change, and that would imply any kind of change in God. But I like what he does here too in this is that uh, the first article, question ten, starts right off the bat with this like very influential, you know, definition of what eternity means that comes from uh, the great uh, Christian philosopher and and statesman Boethius uh, in his Consolation of Philosophy. Um, The idea of that, 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 that eternity is the simultaneously whole and perfect possession of interminable life. And that, that's kind of like the working definition that pretty much all the medievals were, were, were using um, uh, when they're thinking about what eternity was like, he's like Boethius here is kind of like the touch point uh, for that comes on like long, you know, discussions of what time is relative to like Plato or Aristotle or Plotinus or something. But Boethius is sort of the guy. And then, um, and there's, a, there's like a comparison and a con- contrast between Boethius and Augustine, mm-hmm. right? Cause Augustine deals with all this stuff. Like, you know, we worked through that last year right. um, in confessions where he's dealing with all that in the book. So that that's his starting point. Maybe you should Sorry. um can you give it like a little bit of an exposition of that phrase cuz simultaneously whole what does that mean interminable cuz I think I think it makes sense but I also think those are unusual phrases. So if you yeah. hear that like what is it what's he actually saying? He he deals with it he gets into it in uh the second article where he asks whether God is eternal and then there's the, yep. the objection for uh, in eternity, there's no past, present, or future, since it is simultaneously whole, yeah. as the standard preceding article. But words denoting past, present, and future uh, are, are applied to God in Scripture, so uh, therefore God is not eternal. And then he's going to answer that with a reply, his eternity includes all times, not as if he himself were altered through past, present, and future. And so that's the kind of like, all, 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 all of the times are real for God. So he doesn't undergo past, present, and future. Everything you might put it as like an eternal present, where God just sees yeah. everything all at once. And okay. uh, go ahead. I think it's like I, I love that. So this term, this this definition is saying, look, simultaneously whole. There's no before, after, and there's no terminable points. Meaning point one, point two. So eighteen fifty four, eighteen fifty six, eighteen fifty seven. It's not what it's like for God that at the same time, there's no time, but at the same point, all things are accessible to him. You might think of like a four dimensional or three dimensional space where everything's just around you, like in a bubble. Why that's important. I think to realize just practically again, is like um, some people will say, well, God is similar to us in that he doesn't know the future. And so it's to him as empty as it is for us. It's not real. It's just a hypothetical thing out there. Yeah. But if God, like the Bible says, knows the end from the beginning, and Aquinas explained how he knows the end from the beginning in his manner of existence, which is all things are present to him. Uh, there is like this sort of profound mystery, but also comfort in that God genuinely can know all things. It's not just like a game. And like, again, God is good and does good. He knows the struggle you're going to have in 2027 and it prepares you in 2022 to have that. And you experience that 
in sequence with before and after and with terminal points. But God just knows. He knows that you need this at that time because he sees it all. And it's like an active kind of knowledge. It's not It's not a knowledge of like mere potentials. He actually no. knows the actuality of it, right? It, it, uh, in, yeah. a weird, in, a, in this weird sense, like if, if it were, I mean, you could, right? Because he is himself eternal. Uh, he sees the whole of the space-time continuum at once. And the weird thing is like, if you start like doing thought experiments with that, you're like, wait a second. So if he sees everything, if he sees all of human history, in one present, you know, which again, we can't wrap our minds around that because we're, we're necessarily bound by space and time. So we yeah. can't, we can't actually like, do you remember the architect? Th this is just part of the matrix. The architect, uh, all the TVs around, the architect, and he sees all the TVs around him with all the different, I think, possibilities. Oh, is that, oh, you know, I need to rewatch the matrix yeah. in a long time. And, uh, but my point uh, is, is God's not like that. He doesn't see all the possibilities. Right. Like that's he how we might do it because we're but the crazy thing is, he actually does see the counterfactuals things well he knows the end happen. yeah he, <laughs> like he, he's he already knows, there he knows us in potentia before we are actually actualized and uh which is which is also crazy um but like you think about it um you know god actually sees you right now as a baby being you know having your mom's like changing your diaper and he actually can see that. And he can see, God willing, that you live this long. But, you know, he sees 95 That's year why old. I'm so you. patient with you because he still sees you as a cute baby. Yeah, totally. Or yeah. else he'd be done with you. But he sees you also getting your diaper changed by some nurse in a long term care facility at 95. Yeah. And, uh, but he sees it all uh, in one shot. And, and it, so it's weird in that your, your old self, your, your one year old Wyatt Graham self, still actually in a sense has existence but we can't access it because we can't like move backwards right. through space and time which is why you gotta really, this, this the theology proper here is so coherent like if he was a body this is impossible if he yeah. was mutable this is impossible if he was finite in any way this is possible if he was a complex of form and matter this is impossible like yeah. all of these things uh are so internally consistent and necessarily true or else none of these things well, you can hold to them, but they'd be irrationally held, right? Like they wouldn't yeah. be reasonably held. Like all, it's it's what I'm amazed at by reading Aquinas this time with you. I was thinking about this. I think maybe today it's like it actually everything just makes sense together. Yeah. Um, and you can't be like, well, I think God has a body. You're like, okay, what does it even mean? Is he circumscribed? Is he everywhere? Well, no. Yes and no. How is that? Yes and no. Right. Yeah. Make any, I mean, you can hold to that view. I'm not saying you can't. It's possible, but like, it doesn't make sense. Uh, if God has a, if sees time sequentially, this can't be true. He also can't really be infinite in the way that infinity is. Like, it's just it doesn't make sense. Can't be simple in that sense either, um, because he'd know things in potential. Actually, there'd be a combination there. Yeah. Um, so it all just like makes sense. But my biggest question is, are stars angels? <laughs> Which is like the, the natural way to go with this, I think. Are stars angels? Wait, what are you talking about? Uh, the fifth article. Oh. An yeah, and he talks about, well, he's talking. Oh, yeah. When he's talking. Yeah. Because that, that's the other big question is, you know, what is. If we will, if 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 we will live forever, uh, either in uh, the state of eternal life or eternal death, you know, heaven or hell, um, does that make us eternal? And so there's distinctions, right? Obviously, if God's eternal, 
means he's without beginning, without end. He just always is. He's outside of time. For us, um, we believe in the doctrine of creation out of nothing. So that means we've not always existed. That's why it's contingent. And God and his providence, because it's wild to think about. Because he's eternal, it's not, it's, it's not a big deal for him to maintain the existence of the universe eternally. You know, in his providence to keep everything in existence. Um, uh, I was going with a point there and I totally lost it when I made that. Well, the most important thing I want to affirm is that stars are angels. No, no, no. I know. So the Ave eternal thing. Right. So we're not eternal, but there's a sense we're everlasting. We have a beginning. that will always we will persist on into into uh, into the future forever. Um, And so we are as he he uses this word here, Ave eternal. And, uh, and so he, as, he ascribes that to angels and he ascribes it to like, kind of like disembodied souls. Uh, so our souls are a eternal, meaning that, uh, we have a definite starting point, but then we will go on forever. So it corresponds to what I just described as, as everlasting. And, uh, yeah, he applies that to angels, but where do, where do you see the bit about stars? Why am I not remembering this? Well, heavenly bodies is what he talks oh, about. Heavenly bodies. But, uh. My the Bible verse I want to go to is Job thirty eight seven, when um, J- uh, God, so this is Yahweh, the subject says, um, "Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determines its measurements? Surely know. Who stretched out the line upon etc." Verse six: On what were its bases sunk, or who laid its cornerstone? And then the key verse, verse seven: When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of glory, sons of God, shouted for joy. So in the in parallelism, you have morning stars and sons of God, other uh, singing and shouting together. And all I want to say is that stars are angels, and therefore they're <laughs> unchangeable. They have an unchangeable nature, like the angels have. So we have guardian stars. I don't know. They're just different <laughs> spiritual beings. I want a guardian star. That's fine. You're allowed to. I mean, the, the, the Jesus says that uh, children have angels, and then in Acts, when uh, Peter comes to the door of someone's house who I can't remember they think it's his angel and not him <laughs> therefore we have guardian angels which is just obvious because it's biblical and anyone who doesn't affirm it is just an anti-biblite there you go um I like the concept of a eternity though I mean you know he says here uh, on uh, under the fifth article on page 110 he says a eternity differs from time and from eternity as a mean between them both uh so it's like this like kind of weird middle space between them. Uh, this difference is explained by some to consist in the fact that eternity has neither beginning nor end. Ave eternity, a beginning but no end, and time, both beginning and end. This difference, however, is but an accidental one. Uh, Ave eternity appears in the heavenly bodies, the substantial being of which is unchangeable, and yet with unchangeable being, they have changeableness of place. That's crazy. The same applies to the angels, who have an unchangeable being as regards their nature, with changeableness as regards choice. Moreover, they have changeableness of intelligence, of affections, and of places in their own degree. Therefore, these are measured by a eternity, which is a mean between eternity and time. Uh, it's, just, it's cool because, right, what do you do if an angel doesn't have a body? And if we're kind of like measuring everything by matter and angels are by definition immaterial, what are they? It's the same with our soul when our soul gets disembodied um, uh, after death and before the resurrection. What is it? Um and uh, and so it's it's the way of like kind of categorizing not god not material creation but these 
angels that don't have material bodies. What is their relationship to time? They're a eternal. I like it. So we're on agreement. Stars are angels, <laughs> guardian angels. Um, yeah, I think these are cool chapters. Questions for me. It helped me to see how it all kind of, you can't deny one thing. And even this article reminds me of like how some recent theologians have said, you know, God is the same in essence, character and, and morals, but he changes in say relationship or something with us. And you're just like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, it doesn't, it's, it's almost I mean, like, it's almost nonsense, but it's so common. Yeah. It's, it's pretty, it's pervasive in that, especially after the, you know, I mentioned like Kant and Hegel uh, with, with the rise of modern theology. Did and you mention them? I don't remember you mentioning them. Didn't I? Maybe you did. I usually just go down and think about the things I want to say while you're talking because like to actually listen to you. I've is... actually seen you texting while I was like explaining <laughs> some profound things. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> like, hey, like a cat video. Hey, what's for dinner? <laughs> um, well, is it, but, but, you know, the, with the rise of process, uh, theology in the 20th century, open theism before that, um, you know, the, the, um, uh, the philosophy of becoming with like, Henri Bergson and all that kind of stuff, evolutionism within uh, as it hits philosophy and theology. This stands right in the in the face of all of that, right? Like this is what he's just said here is like anti-Hegel, uh, the whole dialectic of, you know, spirit thinking itself into being. So it's in this process of becoming like that. That can't be the case in terms of what the scriptures say about who God is. Um, he's unchanging. And so he's pure being. He's the God that we can come to. He's outside of space and time. We can trust him. Uh, he is He is life itself. Um, and uh, all these other theologies just get us into a mess. Yeah, and it, also, it just strikes me that, at least in my experience, I don't know if it's everyone's, a, a lot of the, like, I've, I have a book I'm thinking of right now, which says it's an evangelical, well, I don't think it's, I guess I can say it's a published book. It was, uh, it was John Frame. Oh. And uh, he has a book in the evangelical crossway theology series where he argues, if I remember correctly, God is in time. God, in a certain sense, changes. God is not simple. And you, and you think about like when you think about his conclusions. Yes, you can find Bible verses that seem to prove it. And at each of those individually, you can kind of make sense of them. But. On reflection, they just internally conflict and, and don't make any sense together. And so one of the benefits, like, man, the simplest way to put this is the Bible's context is reality. If what the Bible teaches is contrary to what's real, like you have a problem. It's like, yeah. it's like the same thing. It's like, if it's contrary, if you're reading, you have to know the grammar and history and, and reality to make sense of it. Like you need to know that the sun is there. And therefore, to know what the sun is when the Bible mentions it. Like, you have to know that already. The Bible doesn't just say there's a sun. Then you're like, How's, there's something up there. Like, you already know yeah. the sun because it's a part of created reality. And the Bible interprets it for you. And it tells you the sun, moon, and stars are for seasons and times, as Genesis says. Like, But you have to know the reality first. You yeah, bring grammar you... to the text. You bring history to the text. You bring geography to the text. And you bring reality to the text. Because God made you to have senses and to know things so that you could read the Bible that he gave to you because it's a creature and it uses already existing creatures 
in its creaturely format to communicate to creatures. It's so bizarre to me that people think that you can't bring anything to scripture because if you don't, it dishonors the intent of what scripture is. You have to bring everything to scripture or you'll never understand it. Bring all of the stuff you already know and let scripture correct those things, of course, because it's the final but authority, it, but you got to bring it. It's like the idea of like kind of what you're saying about angels and stars, right? Like imagine we actually read the Bible and we interpreted scripture as saying angels actually are, stars are actually angels. And so then every time we read about it, we we're we're reading about stars in scripture we're taking them to be angels and uh, we look up at the sky we take it to be angels um that misinterpretation of things uh would have all sorts of like negative effects both in terms of our understanding of scripture but also in terms of our understanding of reality like if the bible says if we if we misinterpret scripture to say the bible says that stars are indeed angels it just doesn't comport with what we know reality to be and so what would we do, what do we do we either live in la la land and actually think that stars are angels as you do, or we've completely butchered, absolutely butchered our, uh, our understanding of scripture. And it just doesn't comport with reality. Like there's no landing in the real world where like make actually helps us make sense of things. It, it actually like botches both nature and, and, you know, general revelation and special revelation. And where the rubber hits the road is, because the context is reality, the Bible's presentation is reasonable, rational, etc. So it's not internally self-contradictory. There's no contradictions in Scripture about who and what God is. And if, but if you start doing these things where like He's finite here and He's changeable here and he, all, all these things, and you create this this contradiction. You're like, oh, I don't know. The Bible just says it. What you've done is just it, you've made God arbitrary, just based yeah. upon random will. But God is, He's real. <laughs> he's a re- like sometimes you have to stop and think the Bible is not like a magic book. Like God is a real subsistent being itself. He actually exists, actually gives life and being, and he is someone. And therefore you can't just be like, I think he's a body in this sense. I think he changes in that sense. And it can't just say that because it feels good. Yeah. You say that because you found like some phrase in scripture that appears to prove something you said. Aquinas already shows how that works. I mean, he cites James and, and, and Malachi and shows how they work together. Through, that point you make too, Bible. the idea of like God is subsistent being all, all these things that we're looking at, all these various questions that he's working through, um, they all have to be answered in the way that he answers them because God is subsistent being like, if he wasn't subsisting being, none of this stuff would be true. And, uh, anyway, I feel like we should, I'm going to take the reins here. We should end it here. Surprising. Cause usually I randomly say that then just hit stop, but. We'll see you next time. Oh, we should say we're going to do the next two chapters, our, our questions yeah. 11 and 12 next time if you're yeah. reading next, along. Question 11 is relatively short. 12, though, is a bit a bit longer. It's a, it's a really, really interesting one. So unity of God and then how God is known by us. This is going to be a really important one.